This is This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, episode 14 for the week of December 14th through the 21st. The off-season offensive woes. This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball is brought to you by NFLMocks.com. Draft Talk is here and NFL Mocks has you covered. Minus that one annoying dude named Mel with the awful hairdo. It's NFLMocks.com. Coming up in this episode, Wally Fisher, Kings of Coffin, joins us to talk about the Royals in our new AL Central offseason segment. Wally will break down the signing of Jason Kendall, the future of Trey Hillman, and where the Royals stand in the competitive Central. And our panelists, JL at Lambie of I of the Tigers.com and Greg Eno of GregEno.com, join us to talk about the latest offseason discussion. Lock in your MP3 player, throw down some hot chocolate, and get ready for the gift that keeps on giving. It's this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, and it starts now. Got it, strike three. See you later. Look out, Freddie Dolce. Wow. Uh oh, high drive into left field. This ball is hit well, way back. Luciano will watch it fly. It's gone. For second, the 1 0. Swinging a fly ball. Left field is deep. It's way back. The Tigers are going to the World Series. Bringing the best Detroit Tigers bloggers together to talk about our team. Sponsored by MotorCityBingles.com. It's This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, and it starts now. Welcome back to another edition of This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. I am your host, Joe Dexter. Episode 14 begins with another week of off-season in the books in the Tigers I guess they've made a trade. <laughs> they sent Curtis Granderson to the Yankees and Edwin Jackson to the Diamondbacks and in total returned four players to the Tiger squad for 2010. Not only will they be players that will be good in the future, they're also players that look to contribute in 2010. Manager Jim Leland says that talking to Curtis Granderson before sending him to the Yankees was tough, but not tough when you got to send him to a world champion and not the Toledo Mudhens. You know, it's not the toughest thing in the world to tell somebody you're just going to the world champions. <laughs> I didn't tell him he was going to the mud hens, you know. <laughs> Without a doubt, Jim Leland will miss Curtis Granderson in the lineup in 2010, defensively, offensively, and as a leader. But still, manager Jim Leland has had experience with a lot of younger players on his squad, looking back to the Marlins days and his Pittsburgh Pirates days. He looks forward to 2010 with a lot of young talent. I'm really excited about it. I mean that. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't I'd like to use the word I, but I've managed teams that have brought in as many young players as a lot of guys. If you look at the, uh, the team in Florida in, in, in 98, all those kids did very well individually. We just, uh, the team paid a little bit of a price for it, but we didn't have hardly any veteran players like we have now. We still have a good team in place. But in Pittsburgh, Jeff King, Orlando Merced, Chico Lean, John Smiley, I mean, I could go on and on. So this is exciting to me, and I think it's just, uh, I think it's great for the organization. I think it's going to be very, very good for the fans. And I think you just have to understand, like we talked before, if you think you have uh, Sizemore is going to perform like Placido Polanco, that's not going to happen. That's not fair. Uh, you, know, you know, I mean, Austin Jackson, our new center fielder, I mean, is he going to win everybody over in two days in spring training? That's not fair. I'm really excited about it. And I think one of the big keys is how well our veteran players react to this. If they react the proper way with the positive attitude and a proper approach, I think this is going to work out great. I really do. 
One of the guys with the final say in this trade was general manager Dave Nebrowski of the Detroit Tigers, who said he wouldn't have made this deal if he didn't get the players back that he wanted in the deal. He gets left-handed pitcher Phil Kolk, who could be part of the rotation in 2010. Max Scherzer, a right-handed pitcher from the Arizona Diamondbacks, and Daniel Schlereth, a left-handed pitcher from the Diamondbacks, and Austin Jackson, the center fielder. Dave Dombrowski, when he wanted to deal Edwin Jackson, knew that he was an excellent pitcher in the major leagues, but dealing him means he gets two pitchers for the price of one, two pitchers that will be really, really good. Edwin Jackson pitched great last year. He made the all-star team, did a tremendous job. But we don't feel we take a big step back there of any with adding Scherzer to the rotation. We think he's that same type of pitcher. We project him to be an all-star type pitcher. Now Jackson has more service time, more experience, so of course he's a little bit further along. But we think all of a sudden you have Verlander, Porcello, Scherzer at the top of your rotation. You don't really take a step back. And then we also get Schlereth, who for us is just not another normal left-hander. He may be a close someday. He'll definitely be a first number one left-hander. So he's a hard thrower. He's got quality stuff and get left-handers and right-handers out. He's not going to be a specialist type of guy. So for us, we're able to add a couple of quality guys and a couple pitchers that are ready to contribute to us right now for moving one pitcher there. Without a doubt, the hardest part of this trade was dealing a guy in Curtis Granderson who is continuing to improve defensively, offensively, and was coming to a peak in his major league career. But in trading him, the Tigers get back a guy named Austin Jackson. General manager Dave Dombrowski feels he can step right in in 2010 defensively in the spacious Comerica Park. Defensively, we don't think we take a step back. He's a very good defensive outfielder. He has a good arm, so we think he'll be able to play center field for us at Comerica. America Park, which is a big center field, and be able to handle that well. Coming up later on this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, we'll continue the trade discussions. Greg Eno of GregEno.com will join us, as well as JL at Lambie of IveTheTigers.com to talk about this trade, break it down, and break down other offseason moves that could happen or that won't happen. That's coming up later in the program. When we come back, Wally Fish of KingsOfKaufman.com will join us to talk about the Kansas City Royals as we start our AL Central offseason preview. That's coming up on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, part of the Fansided Network. All-star fans, all-star content. Fansided.com is a sports network where diehard fans dish out nonstop sports news and views. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! Fandom has no offseason, and neither do we. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. Fansided.com, the number one pro sports blog network on the internet. We're proud to be standing there like a house on the side of the road, and we cheer when your tiger hits it long gone. MotorCityBengals.com, part of the Fansided Network at Fansided.com. Now joining us on this week, Detroit Tigers baseball, as we look around the AL Central to take a look at what's going on this offseason, is Wally Fish of KingsOfKaufman.com. Hey, Wally, how's it going? Going good. Good, good to hear. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Royals. Maybe not going so good this offseason, maybe going well. What is your evaluation so far in the offseason? Um, well, I think they did a good thing with uh, trading Mark Tien. Um, I, I think Chris Getz is a, a good player with some upside, and he'll at least be a solid player, which is really all they gave up in Tien. Um, I'm pretty puzzled by why Josh Fields is a part of the trade, but uh, I guess if they want to stash him in AAA or do something with him, maybe that'll make sense down the road. Uh, 
beyond that, there's really not a whole lot to talk about. They <laughs> got rid of John Buck and basically replaced him with Jason Kemble, which you upgrade the defense, but you lose a lot of offense because they've already also lost Miguel Oliva, catcher. So it's been kind of a puzzle thus far for us. It's been a puzzle all across the AL Central, it seems. And let's talk a little bit about that middle infield clog. You bring in Chris Getz. He seems to be the starter, starter at second base. What's this do for a guy like Alberto Calypso? Uh, well, Calypso has value with his bat, so uh, the team can always use him at DH because there aren't a lot of other better options on the team, uh, assuming they get smart and don't play Jose Guillen. Um uh, he can also play third base if Alex Gordon struggles or has uh, more issues with his hip uh, in spring training or early on in the season. So it looks a little clogged, but uh, the big question for me is what they're going to do with Mike Avilas as he comes back from Tommy John surgery. And that will make things interesting at the shortstop position when you bring in a guy like Yanitsky Bentoncourt last year. Which guy would you favor if you knew that Avilas was healthy and that he would hit? to the extent that he did last year, or when he was healthy? Uh, all things being equal, I, I would have never traded for Benton Court in the first place. <laughs> uh, he can't hit, he can't play defense, and uh, well, there's really nothing beyond that. Uh, we know Avilos can hit when healthy. He's done it his entire minor league career. He did it in 2008. Uh, he did it for the Puerto Rican team in the World Baseball Classic, and he, while the reports weren't good on his defense coming up, uh, when he got on the field in the major leagues, he actually showed to be a pretty solid shortstop and definitely better than Bentoncourt. So he'd, he'd be my guy if he was healthy and I was running the team, which obviously I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we talk about some players that have been added, let's talk about some players returning, including some guys that are just returning this year on maybe one-year deals. A guy like Ramon Coloni has shown a lot of promise in the past he didn't do too bad last year 4.83 era what are your thoughts on bringing him back and putting him in the bullpen i think it was an excellent move uh, the royals have a whole lot of holes in that bullpen right now uh, they need a lot of guys to get to soria and they have a lot of money tied up in farnsworth and Cruz, who were not good last year and in the case of Farnsworth, they should have expected that. In the case of Cruz, that just kind of came out of nowhere, and you have to wonder what's going on with his arm at this point. Other arms that have been brought back, Brian Bannister at 28. He will be making quite a bit of money for a Royals player, finishing 7-12 last year, 4.73 ERA. Where does he fit in the rotation to you? If everybody's healthy uh, going into the season, he probably is going to line up as the number three starter behind Ace Zach Grinke and uh, Gil Nash, and I'm pretty comfortable with him there. I would obviously prefer for him to be pitching uh, out of the four or five slot in the rotation. I think he sets up best in that role, but uh, you got to make do with what you have, especially when you're the Royal. All right, let's move on and talk about the a little bit about management and some other players on the roster, including Alex Gordon, Billy Butler, those types. There's been a lot of talent shown in the past. The draft or the, the talent in the minors is a lot deeper than it has been in the past as well. Do you know of anybody that you would think that comes onto the squad and breaks out next year as they start, maybe like a, Angel Barroa did in the past? Um, coming from AAA... Last year, going into this year, the only player that could potentially do something, I think, at the major league level would be uh, first baseman D.H. Kyla Kaihui. 
Um, but with Billy Butler at first base you know, and DH kind of being up in the air with the big contract of being on the roster, that I don't know. I, I have a feeling they're going to just leave him to rot in AAA again. Um, beyond that, uh, Carlos, Carlos Rosa should probably be up for the entire season pitching out of the bullpen. And after that, you're looking at guys maybe coming from AA, but I really don't see that happening in 2010. Well, let's speak of the new catcher in town, Jason Kendall, two-year deal. In a lot of fans, it doesn't make sense for the Royals to do this when they got a guy like John Buck that they can bring back for possibly even cheaper, most likely even cheaper than Jason Kendall. Do you think, what is the thought process under this, and do you agree with that thought process? Uh, that's a tough question. Uh, I've been struggling to understand the thought process a bit more for <laughs> most of the 2009 season, definitely this offseason. Um Looking on the surface, they're they're bringing Kendall in this year for 2.25 million, um, and uh, Buck would have been probably making 3.5 if they had gone through arbitration. So, from that standpoint, I can kind of see it. Um, they have Brian Pena, who's shown the ability to hit as a catcher, but not play defense as a catcher. So, you get a guy like Kendall who supposedly excels defensively to, to pair with a bat. You've got a good tandem, but the big problem for me comes in 2011 when you're suddenly going to pay Kendall uh, 3.75 million and John Buck will be, who knows where making probably a couple million dollars again. So I, it just doesn't make sense to me because with all the holes the Royals have in 2010 and beyond on their roster, giving a guy like Kendall a two year deal when he's getting to the point where he really can't hit anymore. It, it's just puzzling. That's <laughs> the best word for it. Does it also puzzle you? It puzzles me as a Tiger fan to see a guy um, run the rotation for the Brewers who struggled last year pitching really badly. Does that worry you a little bit that he's not going to call a good game for those young pitchers? Yeah, you you always wonder about that. And, you know, I guess it just depends on where you come down and how much impact a guy like Kemba could have on a pitching staff. Um, you know, some people think that it makes a big difference. Some people don't. I personally, for the Royals, I don't think it's going to make a big difference because you have um, pitchers like Bannister and Mesh and uh, Zach Greinke who are all pretty into the statistics. They understand pitching and, and the flow of the game, and I don't know what Jason Kendall would bring to that mix uh, for those guys. Well, finally, Wally, before we let you go, a tough question for you. Is Dayton Moore and Trey Hillman, are they the guys for the job? Um, well, I was calling for Trey Holman's head earlier this <laughs> year. Um, and my opinion on him definitely hasn't changed. I, he just, from day one, he's looked overmatched. Uh, he does things and you scratch your head. He'll come out and make a comment in the, to the media. And then the next thing you know, the next day he's doing it differently. And so you think, well, okay, maybe he's got it figured out and he's learned from his mistakes. And then, uh, you know, four months down the road, he, goes back to what he did in the first place and stuff like that. Uh, his usage of uh, Joaquin Soria this past year was, was puzzling where he would say uh, to the media after some games, I'm not going to use him for five outs. I'm not going to use him for four outs. And at the end of the year, lo and behold, he was running him out there for six out saves on multiple occasions in the final weeks when the season was already lost. You know, stuff like that just makes you scratch your head. His usage of Gil Mesh was an absolute train wreck in last season and, 
uh, I would not have hired him. I would have already fired him, and he's definitely not the guy to lead the Royals anywhere. How about Dayton Moore? Do you like what he's doing at least with the system? Uh, absolutely. I think um, so far he's he's you know shown an increased presence in uh, international signings and handing out money. He's gotten ownership to open up their pocketbooks in that direction. He's signed a lot of first-round talents in the later rounds of the draft, um, going after guys like Will Myers, Chris Dwyer, uh, Tim Melville from the year before. Um, they've hit on a lot of players. It looks like in the you know later rounds of first-round talent, and that's you know the way the Royals are going to have to build their team with their uh, market and everything. So from that standpoint, I think he's doing great. Um, there's kind of a divide. I think most of the moves he's made from Double A down have been pretty solid. His draft's been good. Uh, when he deals with uh, the major league players or guys near the major leagues, his trades and free agent signings, however, have been pretty lackluster and. Again, I'll use my favorite word for Dan Morris, puzzling. Wally Fish of kingsofcoffin.com, kind enough to join us for the best Royals news. Check out kingsofcoffin.com. Thanks, Wally. All right, thank you. When we come back, two guys that know Detroit Tigers baseball will join us. Greg Eno of GregEno.com and J.L. Lambie of EyeOfTheTigers.com. They'll break down the offseason so far. We'll continually talk about the latest Tigers news that's coming up on This Week in Detroit Tigers baseball, part of the Fansided Network. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I don't know how to talk like a parent. Don't make me come back there. You see what I mean? It's pretty awful. Try it again. Don't make me come back there. Now that's pretty good. That one kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to put up with you. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Brian turned to glance at the pilot, who suddenly had both hands on his stomach and was grimacing in pain. I don't know, kid. The pilot's words were a hiss, barely audible. Bad aches here. Bad aches. He stopped as a fresh spasm of pain hit him. The pilot was having a heart attack. Brian saw the pilot slam into the seat one more time. One more awful time he slammed back into the seat, and his right leg jerked, pulling the plane to the side. Brian was sitting in a bush plane, rowing 7,000 feet above the northern wilderness with a pilot who had suffered a massive heart attack and who was either dead or in something close to a coma. He was alone. In the roaring plane, he was alone. The plane, committed now to crashing, fell like a stone, and Brian eased back and braced himself for the crash. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Hatchet by Gary Paulson. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back to This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball. Here's your host, Joe Dexter. Now joining us on This Week in Detroit Tigers Baseball, it's the roundtable talking about the offseason yet again. Joining us, Jay Ellett Lambie of eyeofthetigers.com. Hey, Jay, how's it going? Very well, Joe. Thanks for having me on. You bet. Also joining us, the infamous Greg Eno, gregeno.com. Find all of his work there. Great Detroit sports writer. Greg, how's it going tonight? Well, at least you didn't say notorious. Uh, <laughs> I'll take infamous over notorious. Oh. I'm doing well, thank you. Well, let's get to the discussion. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot of talking points. And last time before we, just after we wrapped up this week in Detroit Tigers baseball, a big trade, one of the biggest trades in Tigers history, at least in a long, long time. We'll start with JL at Lambie. Fair deal or not for the Tigers? 
we're going to have to wait at least two or three years to, to know in hindsight if it if it's a fair deal or a good deal. But, uh, but on the surface, I still have big problems anytime you're trading two established players that were very popular and uh, did their job for four guys that you're not so sure about. That has been one of the talking points, too, throughout this whole trade. And, Eno, we know your thoughts about that major league talent. Did this deal bring enough major league-ready talent for your liking? Well, I think if you're going to try to win every game 2-1, to 3-2, to one nothing, it, it might have. But I, I don't know how they're going to score runs. Uh, they lost their top two guys out of their batting order. And uh, I haven't seen really – of course, it's early. It's only December. But I haven't seen anything where they really addressed – uh, the offensive needs, uh, Austin Jackson notwithstanding. So uh, uh, I think major league talent arm-wise, yeah, probably. I mean, you've got a, a left-hander with Polk who could maybe be a starter. You've got uh, Scherzer who will be a starter. Schlereth who could help you out of the back of the bullpen. But, uh, you know, you got to score some runs too. So yes and no. I think they got some, obviously got some pitching, but they didn't really address the offense. I don't think that Austin Jackson is... Is, you know, he's such an unknown entity right now. I, I remember when Cameron Maybin was supposed to be untouchable. He was supposed to be the next Willie Mays, and he's still scuffling along with Florida. So, you know, I don't know. It's like the JLX says. You know, it's going to take a few years to find out. But the, the reaction, the, the you know, knee-jerk reaction, no pun intended, is that, yeah, they probably did get some uh, major league talent back. It was uh, good enough, but they got to got to trust the offense or else they're just not going to. Just not fly. And that's one of the big issues of this deal. And we start with Jay on this. You you lose a guy in Granderson offensively. It's going to affect you. How do the Tigers begin to replace that next year, especially when you lose a guy like Polanco that you wrote a lot about at Eye of the Tigers? How do you replace that offense in the lineup? Is there a possible way to do it without spending money? Yeah, with, without spending a lot of money, what you're going to get is a combination of offense and, and Wilkin Ramirez and Ryan Rayburn and maybe even Casper Wells. Uh, as far as how productive that tandem, that group is going to be, who knows? Uh, you, you don't replace Curtis Granderson, the guy who's never played in the major leagues overnight, uh, and expect to get the same kind of results. And I, I think Dave Dombrowski realizes that. But I'm more concerned with how they're going to replace Curtis, honestly, uh, defensively and off the field than I am in the lineup. Um, I've talked to a lot of friends who were season ticket holders of this team and are now former season ticket holders. Because Curtis Granderson was the guy, the guy they loved to go and see, the guy that everybody was nuts about. And uh, Austin Jackson can run like the wind, uh, can do so many things well, but it's going to be very tough to replace how popular Curtis was and my last point before I get too long-winded, defensively speaking, you've got two corner outfielders that uh, have the range and foot speed of my grandmother <laughs> in the largest outfield in the American League. And you're going to ask a rookie who's never played at the major league level to patrol this very difficult center fielder, or this very difficult center field with those two guys supporting him. Good luck, Austin. I'm in your corner, but I don't envy you right now. Especially for a guy that when scouts look at him, think that he might project more as a left fielder and right fielder. Yeah. And that's the scary part about it. But Greg, Jay touched on it a little bit. You talk about Granderson off the field and defensively. 
Where do you? Who's the next guy offensively that you put as maybe the guy you look at as the face of the franchise? We talked about Curtis Granderson, Justin Verlander. They've been the faces of the franchise in the past. Does that now move over to Miguel Cabrera, or do you start molding Austin Jackson already as that face of the franchise? Well, I don't know why you have to have a face of the franchise, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm more interested in winning and losing. You know, I, I think that those kinds of things will kind of materialize naturally. I, I, you know, somebody will emerge and somebody will become, uh, you know, uh, somebody you can, you know, that's more of a marketing thing as far as I'm concerned. You know, as far as a, a personnel standpoint, uh, it's a, it is a concern. I mean, uh, Jay's right. I mean, that's, that's you know, that's... Uh, um, you know, Yellowstone Park out there at Comerica Park, and, and this kid, you know, we don't know how, you know, what what he's like, how, what kind of uh, jump he's going to get on off the on the ball, off the bat, and I imagine that he'll get a lot of work with the Al Kaline and the in spring training, and and Al will help him out a little bit, but you know, eventually he's going to have to just uh, sink or swim on his own, and uh, um, you know, it's asking a lot because now he's got to be concentrating on his defense and in addition to his offense. I don't know where he's going to bat in the lineup. I don't know who the leadoff hitter is going to be. There's a lot of question marks about that that offense right now that are just, uh, uh, to me, gaping holes. Right again, it's only December. There's still two months before spring training, but uh, you know the, the lineup as it sits right now it isn't very impressive. Jay, there is a lot of time in between spring training and now, but as it stands, are, do the Tigers have the worst offense in the AL Central? Well, they certainly haven't gotten better since the season ended, and I think my thoughts on, on the quality of their offense last year were, was well noted. Uh, is it the worst? I don't know. Uh, is it good enough to be a contender at this point? No, I don't think so. And uh, got the fact that we even have to have that discussion, and, and logically you could debate whether the Tigers that payroll and with the, the number of all-stars and talent they had just one year ago now may have the worst offense in the division says it all well before we talk about non-tenders and possible free agents let's continue talking about in-house starting with jim leland an interesting quote in the free in the free press i believe it was he says we expect the old maglio when spring's training starts he's going to drive in 90 runs we'll start with greg is this possible for maglio's 18 million dollar bat oh sure absolutely I, th- I think that he uh certainly piqued a lot of interest the way he finished um i i think he's still young enough where um he's not uh, i don't think that he he's uh, over the hill um i think he keeps himself in very good shape i think that he um uh he's never had a he never had a problem with him coming to spring training out of shape or or anything like that he's, he's um uh you know i would think that the end of his season last year probably gave him a lot of, a lot of confidence that that he probably needed and um, it's a little dicey, though. I mean, defensively, obviously, he's not very strong. But, um, yeah, I'll tell you what, he showed me a lot in that last month and a half of the season and in that playoff game in Minnesota with that home run. And, uh, you know, I, I think he does have that kind of potential. Um, but he's going to have to uh, – uh, you can't get off to the kind of start that he got off to last year because expecting him to finish that strong again um, is a little bit um, unrealistic, I think. When you look at the top of the lineup, how it will be changed, plus you add in what happened last year with Maglio. I, still as a fan from the fan base, Jay, I'm still hoping, I'm still spectacle, but I'm also hoping that Maglio will drive in those 90 runs. Is it crazy to think as a fan that he could possibly return to semi what he was in the past? No, no, I don't think it's crazy at all. Uh, Greg touched on it that 
in the last month and a half, two months of the season, Maglio was the best hitter on that team. Uh, he didn't have the RBI numbers that some of the other hitters had, but he also didn't have as many guys on base in front of him. Maglio is a line drive hitter playing in a big ballpark. Guys get on base in front of him, he'll drive in runs. If he hits third or fifth in the lineup, like I expect he will, he's going to get uh, he's going to be in a position to do that if he has base runners in front of him. But keep in mind, even if Maglio hits better for a whole season than he did last year, Curtis Granderson and Placido Polanco, who used to hit in front of him and get on base pretty regularly, are elsewhere. So it's going to depend a lot on the new faces in that lineup and how good they are at setting the table. It'll definitely be interesting. It brings up a question, Greg, when you look at that lineup, it's way too early to tell, way too early. But where do you get that production one-two spot, and where, where do you, who do you go to? Do we see a lot of interesting lineups like we did in the early 2000s with Bobby Higginson moving all over the place? Well, you know, it's going to be um, a matter of uh, trial and error, I think. I, I imagine that Jim's going to try a bunch of different things. Um, uh, you know, there's no true number one hitter on that team right now. Uh, there's no true number two hitter, frankly. Um, you know, I think it's, it looks like they'll be starting two rookies, uh, and Scott size one Austin Jackson. I don't know what those guys are going to hit. Um, you've got a third baseman that bats 230, a catcher that bats 230, a shortstop that bats 230. Um, you know, I mean, somebody's <laughs> got to eventually take control and, and, and be a leadoff hitter and a number two guy. It's going to kind of be probably done either by A, committee, or B, by default. And in, bo- in both of those instances, that's not a good thing. Um, so... Uh, you know, you could pretty much just kind of draw the line out of a hat, and, 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 and with the exception of putting maybe, uh, you know, obviously bookending uh, uh, or sandwiching Cabrera between like maybe uh, Ordonez and, uh, and Guillen if he's still on the team. Uh, other than that, uh, it's, it's a crapshoot because the other six spots in that lineup are pretty, uh, you know, not very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> well, continuing talk about Ian Roster talks, pitching one of the best uh, aspects of the team last year. This year, already a lot of talk in offseason about some changes, starting with the bullpen. Not a lot of options like last year. Brandon Lyon falls through. He makes it to be able to be signed by the Tigers. Not many options like this year. So talks have already began to start with Rodney asking for two years. Who's going to close? And some answers have come up. Jason Beck of MLB.com writes for DetroitTigers.com. Brought up the name Joel Zumaia says that he might be ready to close. Jay, what's your thoughts? Well, Joel has the ability to blow hitters away. Uh, he's got the big fastball, and when he has uh, that breaking ball working, there's no question he has the raw stuff to do the job. But the big question is mentally, is he ever going to grow into that role? Uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Uh, it was said about Nuke Lelouch and the movie Bull Durham. He's got a million-dollar arm and a five-cent head. Uh, if Joel Zamaya ever grows up, figures out how to be a major league pitcher. He could dominate like nobody before him, but the Tigers have got to be tired of waiting for that to happen. He'll get a shot simply because, like you said, Brandon Lyon is gone. Fernando Rodney now apparently is asking for three years, $30 million. bucks. Tigers aren't going to pay that. Uh, Ryan Perry, I don't think, is quite ready, and you're not going to throw a kid like Daniel Schmierath, who's brand new, into the mix. So, I sure, I expect Joel Zamaya to get the first shot barring the Tigers going out and getting a a low-end option like a Kevin Gregg, a Matt Caps, uh, you know, someone of that ilk 
who's remaining in the free agent market. Well, Greg, when you look at Joel Zumaya in that five-cent head, does a lot of it have to do with maybe being a little bit too overly confident? We saw it last year where he threw his fastball 100 miles per hour in the strike zone and hitters being able to hit that. Does a lot of that have to do with maturing as a pitcher? He is a perfect candidate for someone like, um, for some pitching coach, whether it's uh, who the Tigers have right now or somebody in their organization that's a, a pitching instructor, that can work with him in spring training. He's a perfect candidate for molding. If he would ever just learn how to, he, to me, he's like Joel Zemaya is like a, a boxer who's a slugger, and he needs to become a boxer. And if he can become a pitcher, a guy who can who can really pitch and, and mix up his speeds and, and change his location and, and just and try not to be Mister Ninety Nine Mile an Hour guy in every on every pitch. Um, he can be something because he's got he's got a pretty good breaking ball. It's it, when when it's on, it's pretty darn good. If he can do some other things like mixing a third pitch um, to, to kind of keep hitters honest, or even just change the speeds on his fastball a little bit, um, you know, he's got he can be worked with. He, he's a perfect. This is a perfect time for him now. It's the way his age, but where he's at in his career, where he's at mentally, where he's at physically, is a perfect time now for him to make that to make that take that fork in the road where he's going to become a pitcher now and if the Tigers really need to work with this kid because he could be something else he could really be something if he stays healthy he could be terrific but he's he's, he's a piece of clay right now they got a mold finally Jay before we stop with Zamaya talks and continue on the bullpen one question you've got to wonder about Zumaya is when Dave Dabrowski was asked about that shoulder he said it's never going to be 100% healthy but in a city where closers are like the best ride at a roller coaster or at an amusement park, is that something that scares you when you look at Joel Zumaya that he might not be the guy that could do it for a whole season? Well, sure. I think that that's, that's my only real knock on Joel Zumaya is that through his own fault or bad luck or some combination of the two, he's never proved durable. There, there's never been a question about his stuff. Uh, it's a question of durability, and uh, I echo Dave's sentiments that he probably never will be 100%. He's had major surgery on that on that arm. Uh, how durable he is, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Well, let's look at the rest of those arms. Brad Thomas brought in Bobby C. Futaini. So many lefties. Which one do you choose, Greg? If you have to choose out of two, who do you choose? Well, obviously, uh, you know I like Bobby C. because he's 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 comfortable. To me, he's he's like a glove that, that fits nice and comfortably. I, I trust him. He's, he doesn't he doesn't really uh, blow up. Um, you know, he's pretty reliable. Um, Futini really impressed me last year. I thought this kid had a lot of uh, his attitude, like his toughness. I liked um, uh, how he just went out there and composed himself on the mound. I thought he was um, I thought he was underutilized, to be honest with you. It, 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 really, but although I know it was tough because kind of a numbers game, uh, being a left-hander with C there and everything, but. Uh, I like I like Futini, and I really hope that they you know, they they keep Bobby C because uh, he's um, uh, I just feel comfortable when he comes in the game. I feel like that everything's going to be okay when when Bobby comes in. And I think a lot of that has to do with the talks that Phil Coke could possibly be in the rotation next year. No lefties lined up to start in a, the starting rotation. Maybe Nate Robertson, but a guy like Phil Coke could be made a starter. Jay, you think that has to do with the fact that the Tigers want to keep Futini and Bobby C? That could be part of it, but uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Phil Coke to the rotation uh, story, I, I think he's got some legs, and I, and I really expect the Tigers are, are going to try him out that way. 
Uh, in the minor leagues, he appeared in 125 games. 27 of those were starts. Uh, the Yankees looked at him as a starter. They wanted him to be a starter. For whatever reason, it didn't work out in that situation at that time. He's got a great slider. He's got a good fastball. Uh, by most accounts, he's a hard worker and a good student, the kind of guy that Rick Knapp can work with. And, you know, barring some miraculous uh, Nate Robertson kind of, you know, control resurrection, uh, it would be nice to have a left-hander in the rotation. So I would expect to see Phil Coke get a shot as a starter, and that will allow Bobby C. and Futini to, to get some time. I really think that Daniel Schlereth is going to spend the bulk of next year in Toledo. Uh, he might get a cup of coffee here and there, but with Coke in the rotation and Schlereth in the minors, uh, I don't see the log jam that a lot of people see with the left-handers right now. I'd really like to see Coke in the rotation to continue that development and Schlereth in the minors, but one guy... I wouldn't like to see in the rotation. There's talks he's going to be there. Is Jeremy Bonderman just after last year's performance as a starter? I'm not very happy with him starting there. What are your thoughts, Greg? Do you think he has earned that right to automatically step in as a Tiger starter if he can perform in spring training? Well, I mean, I was going to say no until you put that uh, disclaimer about <laughs> if he performs in spring training. I mean, obviously, if he performs in spring training, you got to give him, you got to give him a look uh, because he's done it before. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that's been around. The organization for, believe it or not, seven or eight years now, and uh, you know, I think that means something. You know, it, it, that kind of uh, loyalty, and that kind of tenure, kind of means something. Uh, but you're, like you said, you got to perform. You know, you got to, you know, you got to go out there and do it. He's not. He shouldn't be uh, still be given anything. Uh, he he was probably rushed back too soon last year. He he, he probably shouldn't have been. He shouldn't have started when when the the Tigers probably shouldn't have put him in when they did. But uh, I don't see him being a head case or a guy that's going to blow up uh, because uh, you know his confidence is ruined. I think he's a tough-minded kid, and I think he'll be. Uh, um, he's kind of a. He kind of me like a right-handed Nate Robertson in terms of his mental toughness. It's just a matter of whether or not he's got the wherewithal, uh, you know, to to be to be productive again. And that's obviously the big question. Well, before we wrap things up, guys, I want to take some roundtable questions. I've got two questions for both of you, starting with Michael Rosenberg. He wrote a piece in the Detroit Free Press after the trades that he isn't sure the Tigers have a vision. We'll start with Jay Ellett. What are your thoughts? Do the Tigers have a vision for the future, or is there no vision at all? It's very interesting you bring up the Rosenberg piece, which was, I thought, a great story. Is that, uh, I was thinking about writing the same exact story that <laughs> he got to it a day before I did, but um, the thing that made me wonder if the Tigers really have a, a vision, or at least if they're sticking to a singular vision, is last year after the winter meetings, when Gerald Laird and Adam Everett were brought on board, Dave Dombrowski preached about defense up the middle and about building that cross and having that be the foundation of making this ball club better. Um, Two members of that cross are now gone, and there's a lot of rumors that Gerald Laird may be following them out the door. So clearly that uh, that cornerstone of defense up the middle has been abandoned. Part of that, you can say, is financially motivated, but part of it is Rising Rosenberg was right. Mike Illich wants to win. We all know that. We all believe it. But I think he changes his mind a lot, and, and Dave Dombrowski changes his mind a lot, and maybe that's natural, but it's difficult for me to see that the Tigers have stayed on one plane for a long period of time, and that, that does make you question what their vision is really like. 
Greg, this move might have been made for Dave Dombrowski. He sees that he might be in trouble, so he makes a move, with the obviously with the approval of Mike Illich, that if he makes this move, he's got to wait a few years at least for it to develop and to prove that it's going to fall through. But does this mean the Tigers have a vision to you? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think what they try to do is they try to play with the big boys for a couple of years and then and the stratosphere of the payroll. And it uh, some things happened that they weren't, uh, frankly, it wasn't really their fault. Uh, the Gary Sheffield injury a couple of years ago really derailed that team in the 2007 season. Um, the whole big offense explosion we expected to see in 2008 never materialized. Um, you know, they tried to, to play, uh, you know, for, Purport to they try to portray themselves, I should say, as a big market team with the, with the payroll, and that didn't work. So now they're shifting gears like really, really quickly on the fly here, and they're and they're totally changing their their uh, uh, their stance, and uh, that's not an easy thing to do, and uh, especially when you're trying to go from it's a lot easier to try to go cheaper to more expensive. If you're trying to go expensive to cheaper on the fly, that's a tough tough deal, but uh, on the other hand, like JL said, back to earlier in the conversation, uh, two or three years down the line, Dave Dabrowski may look like a, may, may look like a genius for making this trade, uh, but right now, it's just, I think it's kind of, it is kind of, it does have kind of smacks of flailing right now, because uh, they tried to play the big boys for a couple of years, and it didn't quite work out, and now they're, they're trying to get back to being a middle of the small market team again. Finally, before I let you guys go, also Tony Paul of the Detroit News believes the Tigers, they're done looking for pieces offensively. Nobody in the lineup currently, I believe, can lead off. They're missing a solid lefty, someone in the two-hole. Are the Tigers going to address any of these holes, or is this it? We'll start with Jay Ellett. Well, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, an addition or two, but I don't expect them to carry a big price tag or a big reputation. Uh, I think you might see a couple of uh, inexperienced veterans brought in to back up maybe at second base or center field. We've heard some rumors about Scott Budsednik. We've, uh, you know, maybe a guy like a Jamie Carroll or Ronnie Belliard or somebody at second base. But unfortunately, I don't think you're going to see any big additions, and it's it's a shame because there are there are so many hitters on the market that could help this team. Um, one name in particular that I'll throw out before before I'm done with this, uh, is Garrett Atkins, who was just non-tendered the Rockies. I know he struggled in 2009, but prior to that, the guy had four years where he drove in 89 runs or more and hit above 280. It's uh, a good third baseman. With Brandon Engine in the last year of his contract, this is a guy, if the Tigers had a little money to play with, they could go and make a run at, um, who could fill some of those roles, but... I just don't think that, that you're going to see much more than a, a backup or a low-budget reserve going forward. Thoughts, Greg? Do they add anything on offense? They better. Uh, they better <laughs> do something. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, um, you know it, this is so, this is just, when you think about it, my goodness, they had a three-game lead with four games to play. If they wrap this thing up, uh, or if they beat the Twins in that one-game playoff, I bet you a lot of this stuff doesn't even happen. That's that's the that's the fine line in professional sports, is just think about that. Just try to imagine if the Tigers had won the division, even if they got blown out in the first round by the Yankees, if they had won the division, or if they, you know, taking care of business, whether it was in, in Minnesota or in the regular season. And I really don't think a lot of this stuff even happens, to be frank with you. But it has, and and, and it's you know, gosh, they had a they came within one game of winning the division, and now. You know, it's it it smacks of um, panic, 
And, um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do next year. But, you know, that Central Division is so goofy because, um, uh, you know, every year it seems like a different team emerges. A, a team that was good one year isn't good the next. Uh, you know, or the team that wasn't good one year is good the next. It's such a goofy division. Here we are riding them off right now. Who knows? I mean, they may shock us and, and be in the hunt again. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just crazy. But if they win the division like they should have, I bet you none of this stuff even happens. Greg Eno of GregEno.com and J.L. Lambie, com. kind enough to join us to talk Tigers this episode number 14. Guys, thanks for joining us. Greg Eno of GregEno.com, J.L. Lambie, IamTheTigers.com, two guys that know Detroit Tigers baseball, joining us on the panelist discussion this week. Well, that's going to wrap up this week in Detroit Tigers baseball episode number 14. I want to thank Wally Fish for joining us as well. KingsofKaufman.com. If you are a Royals fan, you got to check it out. KingsofKaufman.com. Heck, if you hate the Royals and you love the AL Central, you got to check out the website as well. Wally does a great job. That's kingsofcoffman.com. Wally, thanks for joining us starting our AL Central offseason look this week. Next week, we'll either look at the White Sox, Twins, or Indians. Remember, you can always follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash TWIDTB. Our website, MotorCityBengals.com for more Detroit Tigers opinion and news. We've also got a voicemail line. If you, if the hot stove is driving you nuts, you want to get your opinion out, 206-309-9454 is the number. That's 206-309-9454. Until next week, I'm Joe Dexter. Thanks to the panelists and Wally for joining us. We'll see you next week on episode 15 of this week. Detroit Tigers baseball on the fan-sided network. It was great to be a Tiger fan with a Georgia Peach and Wahoo Sam. They won the pennant three years in a row. Then Heilman led the squad, adding titles in years that were odd. Brick Stadium always had a hitting show. I'm talking baseball. Hank and Charlie slugging Tiger baseball. Schoolboy did the chucking. Goose Gosling made opposing pitchers scream. Then Georgie Kelly came upon the scene. I'm talking baseball, the Motor City team.